and welcome into the Most Accurate Podcast. My name is Anthony Stalter, joined as always by uh, John Paulson. John, how are we doing today? Not bad. How are you doing today, Anthony? Doing pretty well. Let's uh, let's jump right into the podcast. Before we do that, tell us about the music that helped r- bring us in. Yes, uh, my family and I are going to see Cake on Saturday in Irvine, and I'm looking forward to the show. It's been a while since I've seen them play. Uh, so I included a track, uh, kind of a deep cut by them, Tougher Than It Is, which is the 11th track off of their 2004 album, Pressure Chief. Never got any radio play or anything, but it's one of my favorite tracks by them, so uh, check it out. Today we're, in a, uh, today we're going to discuss the latest news and injuries, how to estimate blind spots for leagues with free agent acquisition budgets, and then we're also going to discuss a few of John's sneaky starts for week two. But first, a word from our sponsors. Fantasy football season is here, and we have partnered up with DraftKings. You, any of our 4 for 4 memberships for free. All you have to do is go to 444.com backslash DraftKings and follow the instructions there. This podcast is also brought to you by Iconic a not-for-profit organization that will help you find the perfect pair of eyewear or contacts. Lastly, I want to remind listeners that they can use the code TMAP for 10% off any 4 for 4 subscription. There's a lot going on this week in terms of news and injuries, John, so as we get into the podcast now, let's first cover the Antonio Brown situation. Um, You know, we're always in a tough spot here when we're, we're trying to talk about fantasy and keep the content on fantasy, but when you get a situation like with Antonio Brown, where he's accused of sexual assault, he's accused of raping his former trainer, it's it's tough to kind of not discuss the real-life aspect of it, but we'll try to stick with fantasy football. Ian Rappaport of NFL Network reports that he does have a good sense that Antonio Brown will play in Week 2 against the Dolphins. What's your sense, and how would you advise fantasy owners? Yeah, I think he tweeted that there's a real chance that he'll play, um, but... You know, this is the Patriots. I think they're gonna they're gonna play him unless something else happens. I don't think they're gonna sit him down or suspend him on their own uh, unless they learn something that the NFL doesn't know, which wouldn't make any sense. So um, my expectation that is that he suits up and plays. I have him ranked 24th right now in half PPR formats. I have Josh Gordon at 28th, Edelman at 19th. So I think this offense, especially against Miami, can support. Uh, three fantasy receivers in that in that wide receiver two wide receiver three range. Uh, James White is uh, uh, running back thirty three and half PPR format. So uh, you know maybe he sees a few less targets than maybe he otherwise would if if they were just running Edelman out there instead of Gordon and Brown as well. Uh, this is gonna be a scary offense, um, and this lineup is is scary, and that's why Tom Brady gets a bump. He's up at uh, QB three now. Uh, I think the spread on this game is 18. Um, I think that's too low still. <laughs> uh, so uh, it, it's going to be a, a route, I think, and uh, this Patriot offense is going to is going to roll. Tyree Kill out four to six weeks. He suffered a broken clavicle last week. Is it time for me, Cole Hardman, or does Hill's usage go elsewhere in that Kansas City offense, John? Yeah, looking at the, I call it the fundamentals. So it's the it's the data below the the box score where you see that um, Mikko Hardeman had one one target for uh, no catches in that game when, when Hill missed quite a bit of the um, game with that with that injury. Um, Hill ran seven routes, according to PFF, and then uh, Mikko Hardeman actually ran 27 routes, which is the same number as Travis Kelsey, uh, seven less than uh, Sammy Watkins. So he was out there on the field. He was out there ahead of uh, Demarcus Robinson, 23 routes again from PFF. So, um, 
he was on the field. I feel like this was a situation where uh, they weren't game planning to get Hardman involved. Uh, Jacksonville was doing their best to take Hill away. Hill gets injured, and then Mahomes decides to go with what he's comfortable with, and that's Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelsey, Damian Williams, six targets. Um, I think now you're getting into week two, and Hardman now has a week to get into the game plan and uh, get into the swing of things. This is uh, where he uh, probably has some production, and it takes a little bit of a leaf of faith to go off, uh, go after a guy and start a guy who had zero points the previous week. But um, if you remember when Tyreek Hill was having all his issues in the offseason, uh, they drafted Hardman, and he's basically a, a Hill clone in terms of his size and speed and what can he can bring to the table. So I think they were planning for Hill to, to possibly be out, and Hardman was a backup plan. And now he's in in there because of injury. You got Tevin Coleman. He's dealing with a high ankle sprain. He's likely to miss a couple of weeks in this backfield situation right now for the 49ers. Con- continues to be convoluted. What is your advice for fantasy owners? How would you approach it if you have any of the San Francisco, any of the healthy San Francisco running backs? I mean, Coleman's probably out for five, six weeks with this high ankle sprain, and uh, it's another injury for him. Uh, that opens up opportunity for Matt Breda. Uh, in, in the, the nine games last year where he saw at least 10 carries, he averaged 15.7 touches for 94 yards, 0.44 touchdowns. So he's offering, you know, high-end RB2 uh, value production there. He was constantly on and off the injury report. I was looking at it last night. Um, there are games where he was not even on the injury report, and then he tweaked the tweaked the ankle in-game or in the warm-ups and didn't play or play to reduce amount of snaps. So, Right now he's uh, fully healthy as far as we know, so I look at him as a as an RB two, and then Raheem Mustard I think comes in and, and takes over the Brader role. He's getting um, I don't know eight to twelve touches in that in that offense, and you know this is a pretty productive uh, backfield in Kyle Shanahan's offense. So you know both these guys could produce this week against the all Bengals. Thing, speaking of the Bengals, all things considered, you know the Zach Taylor's offense looked pretty good last week, spe- specifically for yeah. uh, Andy Dalton, and he didn't have AJ Green, and then he lost Joe Mixon, who's dealing with an ankle injury. Zach Taylor, again, the new head coach there, said that uh, Joe Mixon remains day-to-day. He was sidelined today, which is Thursday, at practice. If he remains DNP on Friday, how do you look at Joe Mixon? Well, my initial reaction was that he didn't finish the game in week one, so therefore he's probably going to be out week two. And then you would like, you know, as you are seeing the week go week move on if he starts to practice then maybe he can play but if he's a dnp on friday um it's looking fairly doubtful um the Bengals play early uh, on sunday so owners will have time to adjust their lineups but you know Gio bernard instantly becomes an rb2 if mixon is out uh in the four games that mixon missed in 2017 2018 uh, bernard averaged 17.5 touches for 89 yards 1.0 touchdowns that's a 17.1 fantasy points per game and half PPR formats. Uh, we forget that you know he's done it in the past. He's been a lead back in the past in stretches and has produced very well. So uh, I would expect him to do so again against the 49ers if, if Mixon's out. That's just something we have to keep him uh, in mind. You know, getting into Saturday and Sunday mornings, we got to check Mixon's status. He may try to play. Bad injury news again for Darius Geis, the young running back out of LSU, suffered another injury. He underwent surgery to repair a torn meniscus Thursday morning. So while he's recovering. 
it looks like it's going to be a similar backfield situation for Washington as it was a year ago with Adrian Peterson on early downs and maybe Chris Thompson filling in uh, for a you know his his usual pass catching role. What's the fantasy outlook for Washington's backfield? Yeah, fantasy football is funny this way. I have zero shares of Darius guys. Uh, he had the he had the inj- uh, the cleanup procedures after the original injury to his knee. Um, he had infection in his knee. He was uh, had a hamstring injury in the offseason, and I just ended up with zero shares. And then week one comes along, and he's now he's fully healthy, and they end up um, making Adrian Peterson inactive. And I was like, oh, there goes all those AP shares that I have in best ball and whatnot. I have them in a couple of redraft leagues as well. I also have Chris Thompson in various leagues, and was kind of like, oh, well. Uh, but then Thompson ends up with a typical 14, 15-point game uh, in week one. Darius Geis really unable to, to run the ball very well against the Eagles, and then it comes out afterward he's injured his other knee and is out for six weeks. So now Adrian Peterson is back into that role where he was a, a middle-of-the-road RB2 last year. He went over 1,000 yards. He caught 20 balls. I think he had 1,200, 1,300 total yards. Um, now this you know, Washington offense is not going to be uh, great, um, but – you know, for off the waiver wire or somebody you're plucking off your bench, I think you can count on low end RB two numbers, high end RB two numbers from AP, and then uh, uh, Chris Thompson getting back, getting healthy. You know, people forget that in the first couple games of last season, before he had a rib injury, he had two games where he went over 22 fantasy points in PPR. Um, and this team is probably going to trail a lot, so he should be on the field a lot in pass catching roles. So uh, both players get a, obviously get a boost with with guys. Over out. the Chargers, we go from one snake bitten young running back to an entire team that's snake bitten. Hunter Henry down again. He suffered a knee injury, more specifically suffered a tibia plateau fracture to his left knee. The Chargers say that, and Anthony Lynn specifically, their head coach, said that he's hopeful that Hunter Henry will be back at some point this season, but it looks like a long road again for Hunter Henry to return. Mike Williams did not practice on Wednesday due to a knee injury, so the Chargers remain one of the more banged-up teams now in the uh, NFL once again. So from a fantasy perspective, where are these targets going to? Who do you feel confident in besides, obviously, the obvious there, which is Keenan Allen? You, you just start to look down the depth chart and see where they're going to get their production from. And I think, you know, the running backs are probably going to pick up some of it. Austin Eckler is fantastic as a receiver. Justin Jackson's pretty good as well. They have Virgil Green there at tight end, and he, he's a pretty good athlete, but he's never been able to capitalize when he's had, like, starting gig opportunities. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But I don't, I'm not expecting him to, to like, directly replace – uh, Hunter Henry in the offense, and then you start to look at the receiving core, and they actually have a couple guys that have produced in the past. Travis Benjamin, um, 68 catches for uh, 90, uh, 966 yards, five touchdowns on 125 targets for the Browns in 2015. Then he came over to the Chargers, had 677 yards uh, in 2016 and 567 yards in 2017. In those years, he was the third receiver uh, in terms of targets, uh, both years and was also there was also a good tight end in the offense in both of those years. So he's moving. Say he was the fourth option in the passing game in those years. He's probably moving up to the number two option now. So I think there's some upside there. They also have Dontrell Inman. Um, he had an 810 yard uh, season back in 2016 uh, with the Chargers. Uh, 58 catches on 97 targets for 810 yards and four touchdowns. I wouldn't be surprised if these guys like are suddenly become uh, you know spot start wide wide receiver four wide receiver five type players 
that you can plug in. And you don't, you know, with especially with Benjamin, who's more of a deep ball guy, he's probably not going to produce for you every week, but he's going to have those spike weeks, you know, tournaments, uh, GPPs, and, uh, and DFS and stuff. Good option there. And then all of a sudden, maybe one of these guys turns into a steady PPR option. Like Inman could certainly do that, uh, given his... Um, skill set uh playing more in the slot and uh, with shorter passes he might catch more passes with benjamin being the uh the deep ball guy so the chargers are snake bitten the jets are absolutely falling apart as well sam darnold has mono so he may miss he's certainly going to miss the, the monday night matchup against cleveland but he might be out even longer Le'Veon bell is getting an mri on his shoulder today which is thursday again Quincy and Nunwa done for the year with a neck injury, so the Jets traded for Demarius Thomas, but he's coming off an Achilles injury. Uh, I, I do not like this Jets offense, John. I, I highly, I, I would imagine that not a lot of people do. But it, what's what's left to make of the Jets offense, and what do you think about Le'Veon Bell? Well, Trevor Simeon is going to come in at quarterback. He has a career 59.3 completion percentage, 30 to 24 touchdown interception ratio, 6.8 yards per attempt. So. There's going to be a drop off uh, in the passing game. Let's say, let's say Bell plays and then Simeon's in there. I think he's going to be okay. Um, if Bell sits and Simeon's in there with, say, Ty Montgomery, uh, you know, suddenly some of those running lanes, uh, you know, those those linebackers that are pitching up to to deal with Bell are not having to do that, and those passing lanes are not uh, as available as they as they were. So it's a downgrade for the offense. Uh, Montgomery should see the bulk of the carries behind. Uh, or behind that line if, if Bell is out. So we just have to kind of wait and see on Bell. I think the Inunua injury just boosts Jamison Crowder and Robbie Anderson for now, but the downgraded quarterback uh, sets them back a little bit. All right. We will continue our podcast with a discussion on John's sneaky starts and what factors into his FAAB bids. But first, a word from our sponsors. Today's episode was sponsored in part by Iconic, where you can shop name brand glasses, contacts, and sunglasses for the best possible price. Iconic seamlessly connects your eyewear, your vision insurance coverage, and your doctor's expertise with their network of over 38,000 eye doctors. Use their virtual try-on tool to see yourself in your favorite pair of glasses. John, I know you recently bought a pair of glasses from Iconic, right? Yeah, I actually got a pair of prescription Nike sunglasses. I was able to search by the size of the frames and I have a big head so that certainly helped <laughs> and, and the site actually scanned my face for their virtual try-on feature which was pretty cool uh, uploading my prescription was easy and my sunglasses came within a few days so all in all it was a good experience well if you want to be like John enjoy the view and visit iconic.com backslash t-m-a-p that's e-y-e-c-o-n-i-c.com backslash t-m-a-p to shop 60 high-quality name brands including Nike, Ray-Ban, Oakley, and AccuView. Get free shipping and returns, price matching, and a complimentary frame adjustment, plus save up to $220 when you apply for your insurance. Don't have insurance? Use the code TMAP to get 10% off your entire order. Iconic is looking out for your eyes. Fantasy football season's here, and we have partnered up with DraftKings to bring you any of our 4 for 4 memberships for free. All you have to do is go to 4for4.com backslash DraftKings and follow the instructions there. That's right. You'll get our optimal lineups, custom waiver waiver pickups, trade evaluator, and all the other great features in our membership, all for $5, which you can then enter into contests to potentially win more. We're super excited to bring you this deal, and if you want to access right away, 
Go to 444.com backslash DraftKings and follow the instructions there. John, I know you get a lot of questions uh, about people, uh, you know, what, what people should bid for player X or player Y. So I want to discuss what factors go into that decision. First, do you want to explain free agent acquisition budgets to those out there that may not be familiar? And I'll be honest, uh, I'm, not, I'm not completely familiar with the process as well. Well, the uh, waiver process in most leagues is just worst to first, and the, the, the player with the worst record gets to have the first access to the waiver wire. Uh, a, fab bud, a fab bidding basically uh, puts those waiver players out there to everyone equally. Everybody bids uh, whatever money they want on a player, and then the player with the highest uh, or the, the owner with the highest bid on a player gets that player. So it's more it's more a fair way, and not just rewarding players uh, teams that lose their first game in week one because a lot of times and after week one there's quite a few uh, good players to be had on the waiver wire okay moving forward now i know in four for four's waiver wire watch the writer alex galar provides suggested bids for each player that he writes up how are those prices created and what can listeners do to adjust them for their particular league uh yeah alex does a good job with this and i would definitely get on it um I actually mistyped his last name there. It's Gelhar. Uh, sorry about that. But uh, I work with him on it. He submits the, the article. I talk with him a little bit in Slack, and we have a discussion about players. We move some guys up and down, basically. I give him my pitch. He might come back with something. We assign pl- uh, prices to the players. So you have two people working on it. But we're, ba- we're basically assuming a 12-team uh, league with PPR format and a roster of, say, 18 to 20 players. So... Deeper benches mean that the waiver wire is going to be more sparse. If you are playing in a league with 16 or 14 players, you know players on your roster, you're going to have a lot of good players on the waiver wire. If you're playing in a league that's 22, 24, 26 roster uh, rostered players, then the waiver wire is going to be more sparse. Uh, leagues that don't have a kicker or a defense will have a waiver wire that is more sparse because there's more bench spots for running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, and quarterbacks. And so more scarcity means that if there's a good player on the waiver wire. Um, you should probably jump on them with a higher bid. Uh, I tend to burn my fab budget, um, my fab bids early in the season. I try to get player, I try to identify players that I think are going to do well during the season and, and jump on them. And I might overbid in order to make sure that I get them because every week as you as you go through the season, your your fab money um, becomes less and less valuable. So I try to use it early. Uh, for example, I'm in the Scott Fishbowl, which is a giant tournament, um, but we have 12. 12-team league, uh, the roster size is 22, uh, so the waiver wire is pretty sparse. It's also a super flex league, so you can start two quarterbacks. Uh, when Andrew Luck retired, I looked at where the low-end quarterback twos were going in the draft, and I, t- I saw that they were all going about the ninth round. And so then I decided, okay, so what is my fab worth versus a ninth-round pick? And I burned my whole fab, my 100 bucks on on Jacoby Brissett because I, wanted to, I only had two quarterbacks at the time. I wanted to add a third. And I knew he would go for quite a bit. And it turned out a lot of the players in the league in the tournament ended up burning 100 bucks on Brissett because he's uh, that valuable. Um, the top bids after week one were for guys like Gardner Minshew, with, you know, 70 to $100 on him. Uh, Dare Ogunbowale, Ogunbowale uh, went for 23 to 25 bucks. So these are prices that you know typical listeners are not going to see in their home leagues, but so you have to adjust down. So that's what we that's what we try to do with the waiver wire watch is we try to provide prices for a typical twelve team league where it's not this sparse. And 
our free FFPC league, it's a 20 player roster with kicker and defense. Uh, we went really hard after Terry McLaren. Um, the only other appealing wide receiver on the wire was John Ross. Um, and we felt like McLaren's uh, long-term uh, upside was better. So we bid 65% of our budget on him. I think we bid 35 to 40% last year on Philip Lindsay and outbid a guy by a dollar on a thousand dollar budget. So it was a really tight bidding win there. Um, and I could have gotten away with uh, 35% on McLaren, but um, you know I saw what he was going for in the Scott, Scott Fishbowl, and it was 62% on average, so uh, I wanted a bit over that. So it's really about the supply and demand, how sparse is your waiver wire, and who you're cutting, I think, is the thing that everybody forgets about. If you're cutting dead weight, a player that's injured, uh, or a guy you know got zero snaps in week one or something like that, then bid what you want to bid and don't really take into account who you're cutting. But if you're cutting a pretty good player the player you're trying to acquire is not worth as much to you as he is to somebody else cutting dead weight. So, you know, for example, uh, in our league, we ended up with uh, Carson Wentz on the waiver wire because of a snafu at the draft. And I had James Winston on my roster and I bid $85 on Carson Wentz, uh, figuring that I shouldn't blow my whole budget on Wentz uh, because I did have Winston on my roster and he's probably going to be better than he showed in week one. So, um, that's kind of how I uh, go through the, the process each week. And it's kind of a pain, but it's also, I think, more fair than just uh, going first come, first serve or worst to first uh, on the waivers. Well, okay, so you mentioned Terry McLaurin. How do you evaluate a couple of rookies receivers like McLaurin and then Marquise Brown? Brown had a better week one. Does that factor into your pricing? He did. He had more, uh, one, more, one more touchdown, uh, 140-something yards. But he only did it on eight routes run per PFF, so... He played 18% of the snaps, whereas McLaren played over 90% of the snaps. He ran a ton of routes, and he was involved the entire game. And I feel like his production is more sustainable than Brown uh, moving forward. Now, Brown might see an increase in snaps and start. Maybe he becomes a 40, 50, 60% player. But based on what we saw in Week One, um, he looks like a part-time player, and, and maybe his production was a little bit fluky against the Dolphins. I think he's going to have another good week against the Cardinals because they don't have Patrick, uh, Patrick Peterson and um, they're just sort of beat up defensively on the, on the, uh, in the secondary. But um, I, I, long term, I wanted McLaren over Brown. That's how I prioritized it on the waiver wire. All right, good stuff. Now let's talk about a few sneaky starts from the article that goes up every single Wednesday afternoon uh, at the site. We've already discussed Nicole Hardman, Matt Breida, and Raheem Mossert. Gio Bernard, Adrian Peterson, and Chris Thompson, as well as Travis Benjamin, Dontrell Inman. So let's talk about a QB you think is flying under the radar this week, which happens to be Derek Carr, who lines up against Kansas City. Nice nice game for Derek Carr on Monday night against a Broncos team that could provide some heat in Kansas City. Really made Gardner Minshew look pretty good last week in, in, in spot duty after Nick Foles went down. So you like Derek Carr as a sneaky start. Yeah, the Chiefs, just the defense, especially on the road, 350 passing yards and three touchdowns yielded to Nick Foles and Garden uh, Minshew combined. So it's just a really good matchup for Derek Carr. He's at home. Last two home matchups against the Chiefs, he had 285 yards, three touchdowns uh, last year. And in 2017, he had 417 yards passing and three touchdowns against the Chiefs. So we know the Chiefs are going to score. Oakland's going to have to try to keep up. Carr, Carr and the offense look good against a pretty good defense. And, you know, Vic Fangio's the head coach there in Denver now. And 
Um, they didn't really have much problem scoring on the on the Broncos, so I think I think Carr will have a good game against the right, Chiefs. Let's talk about a running back that isn't getting much buzz. That's Rex Burkhead. He had 13 touches for 85 yards while playing 46% of the snaps against Pittsburgh in Week One. And the Patriots, as you mentioned before, they're anywhere between an 18 and a half to 19 point favorite in Miami. So lots to like about with this Patriots offense, including Rex Burkhead. Yeah, and Damian Harris was a healthy scratch. So if that happens again, I mean, I think I'll be paying attention to um, inactives. And if Harris is active, then that would be a little bit of a downgrade for Burkhead. But with Harris sitting, you know, Burkhead's the next main rusher up after Sonny Michel. He also works in the passing game. Uh, he had 13 touches for 85 yards, um, as you mentioned. So it was a pretty good production. And, you know, there's some people that believe that they're trying to showcase Burkhead for, for a trade. Uh, and if that's the case, then they certainly would play him quite a bit against the Dolphins. And if they jump out to a big lead against the Dolphins, they're probably not going to, to play uh, Sonny Michel too much because he's got a history of knee problems and had some, a couple injuries in uh, the offseason. So maybe it's more snaps for Burkhead as well and so many touchdowns available. You could see see Burkhead ending up with another 13 to 15 touches in this At game. At receiver, we've talked about a few of these guys. How about DK Metcalf? Why is he a sneaky star for you? Well, he saw six targets for the Seahawks in week one, which was more than uh, Tyler Lockett, who I think saw two. And it was the second most on the team next to Chris Carson, who saw seven. He caught four passes for 89 yards. He has 104 air yards per airyards.com. He's obviously a physical specimen. So I think, you know, coming, you know, passes coming from uh, Russell Wilson, who's one of the most efficient fantasy passers uh, in the league. Uh, there's just so much usage available in the Seattle offense. And this, even though the, they want to be run heavy. Uh, maybe this is a game in Pittsburgh where they fall behind and need to uh, pass the ball a little bit more than they'd like to. Also, Lockett is dealing with a some sort of back injury in practice, so uh, Metcalf could see an even bigger role than, than he saw in And at tight end, you tell readers not to bail on Vance McDonald after a shaky week one. Why is that? Well, you look at his box score production, and it's not pretty. It's two for catches for 40 yards on four targets, and I think people that were uh, drafting him were expecting him to see six, seven, eight targets, especially in a blowout against the uh, the Patriots, where you know they have to go very pass heavy. You'd like to see McDonald a lot more uh, usage in the offense. But what I'm looking at again is fundamentals. You look at the snap, the snap rate, and you know 71 percent, and that was one of the issues coming into the season. We were concerned that he was only going to play about 50, 55 percent of the snaps, but he played 71 percent of the snaps against the, the Patriots. And if he's out there in the field that much in this offense uh, with Antonio Brown gone, then his production is going to return to the mean here, and he's going to have some good games. All right. Is there a deep tight end streaming option that you also like this week? Well, I was looking at uh, routes run by the Dolphins and, uh, over at PFF, and they – they have a tight end, Mike Gusecki, obviously the rookie from last year, very athletic, didn't do anything last year. Uh, the offense is kind of a disaster, but Ryan Fitzpatrick likes to throw to him. Um, he played 68% of the, of, the, of the snaps in week one. I mentioned the 27 routes run. That's the 13th most at his position, and uh, he's playing – uh, against the the Patriots and what's going to be a blowout. So expect a lot of pass attempts for Fitzpatrick, and that could lead to a, a decent game for Kasich. All right. Before we go, just want to remind listeners that this podcast was brought to you by Iconic, a not-for-profit organization that will help you find the perfect pair of eyewear or contacts. We'll see you next time on the Most Accurate Podcast. Best of luck to all of you this weekend as you gear up for week two for in your uh, fantasy football leagues. For John Paulson, I'm Anthony Stalter. We'll see you next week.